Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Whoa, you sound sad. Ah, sad. I think I'm kind of like just in a space where all of my emotions are like fully on a plane. I've planked Mm. my emotional curve. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, do you mean like on a plane in the air or on a plane, (laughs) like an XY plane, perhaps a Z plane, if you're getting complicated? Oh no, definitely not complicated, definitely not an airplane, an XY plane. Um mm. I'm I'm leveling out. I mean, I'm trying to not get too uh depressed, obviously, too anxious or also too happy. I mean, I'm just going to be like super even guy um as we as we weather this uh as we weather the storm. How, how are you feeling? Oh, my emotions are all over the place. I commend <laughs> you for trying to keep it keep it uh it's some sort of constant, but I cannot. <laughs> I go through, no way. You no, know, I go through periods of like uh, deep sadness because I'm like, you know, kind of mourning what was good about uh, a life that I don't know or a world that I don't know will look the same <laughs> ever <laughs> again. Um, and uh, like worry and panic and a, a, like a total loss of control. And then also like this need to to do something to be like ah, what can I contribute to how we move forward how can I be useful um how can I be influential in how we move forward uh within the communities that I'm a part of uh, not to mention everything else that's going on beyond those communities so it's just all over the place for me yeah yeah before we start this episode I just want to thank uh all of our supporters who have uh stuck around. <laughs> um, we know that a lot of people have lost jobs or have been laid off or have reduced hours. And obviously, like, you know, when that happens, you have to reduce the amount of support that you're giving to other people. But there have there has been people who've been increasing their support as well for the podcast. And, you know, one of the things I was really looking forward this year was the live shows, which I mean, we've been doing live shows now for two years, and this probably will be the first year where there will be no live show. I think we can probably say that. Um, You know, maybe, maybe in the fall something will be able to be possible, but thanks for your support anyway. Uh, Thanks especially to folks that have recently donated. Uh, That's JC, Kyle, Melissa, Wendy, Colin, Jeremy, Jamie, Sheetal, Kate, you folks are awesome, and so is everyone else that's able to support this podcast, whether that's through a financial donation or, or, or just through, you know, word of mouth, sharing episodes and uh, telling your friends about us. We really appreciate that. And we will keep coming to you throughout this crisis. Although, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Sandy, but I'm finding it really hard to think about anything else other than the coronavirus. Oh, gosh. Yeah. No, that's the only thing that I have been thinking about, talking about, like, have my nephews over uh, from time to time and that's really helpful because he doesn't know or care what's going on he just wants to play hide and seek and I really recommend that for people (laughs) to just (laughs) interact with children who can take your mind off of this stuff because otherwise it's just it just it's all I can think about it really is 
even though I'm supposed to be in school, like I just, I'm still, I'm really frustrated that school is continuing because I just can't think about school. And it's like, you know, I have a class at, at 9am every, almost every day. No, I do have a class at 9am every day. And because we're doing it at, on Zoom, you actually have to be present at 9am every day, which for the students who had to go home uh, and are now in different time zones is ridiculous uh-huh. in many cases. Uh, my 9 a.m. classes are always during the time when Justin Trudeau is doing his uh, now daily address right. to the nation. And I've watched all of them. And so, sorry, con law, but I can't, I just can't focus. Like, I need to know what's going on. Yeah, I want to especially recognize those of you who are listening to us who are in quarantine or in total isolation and are alone. I have a very different experience of my quarantine. I'm, you know, my family's in isolation, but I am still with three other people. And I just, I think that, you know, what you're doing is really important. What we're all doing to try and stop the spread of this virus is really important. And if your sacrifice is that you are literally by yourself quarantined inside your apartment, um, I don't know, listen to our voices and we can be your friends and reach out to people that you know and, and have those video chats and, and take care of yourselves. Cause this is going to be a bit of the theme of this episode. Uh, What if this is the new normal? What if this is the new normal? And I think, I think that we cannot deny that something has fundamentally shifted in the way that the world is organized and is probably not going to go back. We talked a little bit last week about the types of things that we have to think about. Like, what do we want to, what changes that are are being made right now do we want to keep? What changes that that are being made right now that we need to be wary of and critique? Um, Something that we want to talk about this week is, uh, I I don't really know how to frame this, but like the kind of like the danger of fast news in Mm -hmm. this crisis situation. Um, Like I mentioned, you know, Justin Trudeau has been doing an address every day this week. Uh, Donald Trump has as well. I'm sure other politicians around the world have. Other politicians within our, um, our provinces have. And all of those addresses have been live. And uh, a lot of what they've said have been taken at face value. But what I've come to realize over this new normal is that the wonky ways that uh, politicians and politics try to trick us and uh, put rose-colored glasses on what's really happening, that hasn't changed. (laughs) And unfortunately, um, when the news is reported live like that um, and people are, are kind of, you know, in the state of confusion and wanting to get as much information to people as possible and kind of uh, giving a lot of grace and goodwill to the people who are uh, in decision making positions, because who would want to uh, spread uh, falsehoods at a time like this and false expectations at a time like this? Um Unfortunately, uh, what that means is that we're not necessarily getting the the truth of what's available out there for support. 
Um, and I think that that needs to be roundly criticized and that shit needs to stop. And some of the stuff that we're talking about uh, when I'm mentioning this is like the new supports that Justin Trudeau announced would be available to people who need it. Uh, I don't know if you folks have seen it. Nora tweeted it. I retweeted it, I think. Um, there's a lot of means testing going on mm-hmm. <laughs> for uh, for the financial and social supports that are meant, new financial and social supports that are meant to be able to cushion people who are uh, losing their jobs or faced with unexpected financial realities as a result of the economy completely breaking down. And what that means is a lot of people who need to access these things immediately are not going to be able to access them either immediately or at all. And I haven't seen a lot of news about that. I've been disappointed by the NDP's response uh, to these things because they should be helping us wade through that and understand that that's what's happening. But that's what's happening and that is really going to hurt a lot of people if they are banking on uh, these promises that politicians have been making. Yeah, there's a real problem with, with Trudeau's daily address. And I have the benefit of being able to compare his address to the Quebec premier's address, which happens usually two hours later. Whenever Francois Legault, who is a right-wing populist politician. He's known for attacking uh, many different minority groups within the province and is, of course, you know, internationally famous with banning religious symbols in some public sector jobs. In this crisis, he has been pretty good in how he communicates what's going on. And one of the things I appreciate the most about how he communicates what's going on is he starts every one of his addresses with the numbers. He literally just lays out the numbers where were we at yesterday? Where are we at today? How many people have died? How many people are in critical care? How many people are in the hospitals? And it's like, that's the kind of information that I think helps to deflate a lot of the politics out of this issue, because then automatically the conversation is about, you know, the crisis, which is how do we keep people out of the hospital when these bulges happen and how many hospital beds do we have available to us and all and all of these kinds of logistical things. He also always does his address with Horatio Aruda, who's the, the head of public health in, in the province, which I also think helps too, because it, it means that you have a, a nonpartisan scientific person. And I've never seen Trudeau, like Trudeau's, um, his daily briefings don't include Dr. Tam, the, the public health officer for the country. And so that also changes mm-hmm. the way that he talks about the stuff. And so his like breathy delivery, which is fucking unbearable to listen to. <laughs> I only listen on the radio. Absolutely <laughs> unbearable. Absolutely unbearable. It, uh, it's, it's just like if you have to listen past the things that make you want to not listen to someone to hear if there's any news behind what they're saying. And, and we were getting a news update every day. Like here's today's promise. Here's today's promise. Here's today's promise. We're now in a world where the promises have been made. And there isn't a whole lot that's coming from the government and, and, and people are having to figure out 
the hard way whether or not they're going to get certain pockets of money that have been promised to them. And so, you know, for me, I'm an independent worker. Uh, I also do have a, an employee-employer relationship with, the, with an organization, which I've been laid off of. So as of Monday, I'm, I'm laid off. And I have applied to one of the pools of money for Quebec because that was set up a week ago. And the application was interestingly made through the Red Cross and very straightforward, very easy to, to, to fill it out. For the federal money, I have I have no idea. I have no idea what's required. I know that we have to produce um, ROEs for m myself and the other person I work with. Uh, I'm not applying to the federal money because I have the provincial program, but I certainly know people who are trying to apply or looking to apply or figuring out how to make it work. It's, it's not good. And the problem with doing it this way is we don't know how much money we're going to get in a lot of cases. Um, for anybody who gets the universal child benefit, we won't know what we're getting. They've said that, that we have to wait and see what you're going to get for the universal child benefit. So that's not useful. That's not money I have now. And that's not money that I can plan to use in the future when I have no idea if or by how much my universal child, child care benefit is going to go up. So there's a lot of holes. And, and unfortunately, we have journalists and I don't want to go too hard on journalists because I know it's really hard for them. <laughs> like, I mean, this whole... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Everything sucks. And shout out to the journalist who the prime minister had to say was on mute today, <laughs> twice. <laughs> he started asking his question, I guess, on mute. And then and Justin Trudeau had to say, uh, I, I think you're on mute. And I, it's actually in that moment that you can hear Trudeau actually speak like a normal human and not through this mm -hmm. breathy drama teacher fucking act that he has going on. The, mm -hmm. the journalists who are covering this, I'm afraid, are asking the questions that are the easiest questions because everyone is so stretched thin. And so all we get at the press conferences now, or, or most of the questions, are related to asking Trudeau to, to uh, guess the future, which is a ridiculous question because he will not. Stuff like, how long is this going to last? When do you see this stopping? What is blah, blah, blah. And then other questions that the big obsession right now seems to be, at what point is the Emergency Measures Act going to be imposed, which effectively takes away all of our rights and lets the state have a tremendous amount of power. And if you, like, in listening to the journalist after journalist ask this question, it's like, sorry, do you folks want this to happen? Why are you so obsessed with asking about the Emergency Measures Act when Trudeau has not said he's going to do it? In fact, he's been very clear that there are emergency measures in place at the provincial and the municipal levels. And, and at, at this point, there's no point for the Emergency Measures Act. Rather than focusing on things like his border policy or the means testing and who's going to fall through the cracks of these of this of this financial aid or why why there's only 10 percent of salaries are going to be um, funded, whereas in other countries around the world, it's up to 80 percent of people's salaries. I know I know one or two journalists asked about that today. This is and we're recording on Sunday. There are a lot like we really need um things to function the way that they do function when they are normal as in like the go the government needs to be challenged the prime minister needs to be challenged journalists need to be asking really hard-hitting questions even though i know that everyone is totally anxious and scared and stretched thin and and it's a really it's it's adding to i think the feelings of chaos <laughs> that i certainly know uh, a lot of people are feeling and I, I don't really have a way to suggest that it gets better because I think that uh, as this goes on, more people are going to get sick and things are going to get even harder. And I don't know. I don't know. Now, I guess, you know, when I start to think about this, then I actually get really like, oh, my God, things are not good. Well, look, I think that, uh, you know, a message coming out of that critique in particular is like, for fuck's sake, government, like we've said this before. 
on various different policy announcements that they've made in more uh, predictable times, okay? Stop focusing on trying to make sure that the people who don't need a benefit don't get a benefit and start focusing on making sure that the people who need a benefit get a benefit. And the way to reorient yourself uh, to, to, to that goal is to stop the means testing and just make something universal. Yeah. Just fucking try it. <laughs> I'm telling you that the people who are rich are always going to be rich and there's nothing we can do about it. Nothing punishes them. If your goal is to give somebody uh, uh, supports that they desperately need. If that's the goal, there is you should not be worrying about punishing the rich as part of that goal yeah. or making sure that the rich can't touch that money as part of that goal. Like, sure, make it an application process if you want and hope to hell that people only apply if they really need it. But guess what? The people who really need it are going to apply and then they'll get it. Yeah. Okay? And they'll get it immediately. And we do not need a really complicated system to focus on the people who do not need our focus right now. And I I hope that there are some journalists that are listening to this who can be a part of putting the pressure on the government that way. Maybe the discussion next week can flip towards uh, f- uh flip from uh, hey, Justin Trudeau, when is this all going to end? How long are these measures going to be in place? To, hey, Justin Trudeau, uh, look, these means tests that you've put into these applications are very onerous, and people are reporting that they are not getting the benefits that they need. Why have you done this? Will you consider removing them so that people can get their benefits more quickly uh, and in, in a time in which they desperately need them? Yeah, it's a moment like this where you can really see that, unfortunately, in Canada, our media and our politicians are of the same class, or they identify more with each other than they identify with average people. I mean, there was this one tweet that uh, Rosemary Barton from the CBC put out last week, and she got very massively ratioed for this. So, I mean, people were pretty outraged by this, but she was scolding... uh, folks working at the Starbucks that she went into or a coffee shop, maybe it wasn't Starbucks, for not uh, being... I think it was a Starbucks, yeah. Yeah, not being socially distanced enough. And it was just like, why in the sweet fuck are you in a coffee shop right now? Yeah, yeah. Just out to lunch. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then there's also some other things that we got to consider that are being announced um, and just taken for face value as things that are good and useful and helpful, like the closing of the border to irregular migrants, uh, read asylum seekers, people who work across the border, and so on. That was uh, pretty shocking yep. to me. Yeah, me too. And it didn't seem to get the type of criticism that it roundly deserves. I was surprised by how little criticism there was about that measure. And and this is also a lesson for the NDP. Like the, the, the announcement that they would close the border to irregular border crossers is proof of pressure that pressure works from opposition parties even in a time of crisis 
because this is absolutely a, a victory for the conservative party. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a few days before that was announced, Peter McKay was retweeting Brian Lilly, two pieces of shit, racist, uh, conservative fuckheads uh, about how this is the big issue that the that the people who cross the border illegally need to be blocked and we need to be cl- clamping down on these people or blah 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 this is an issue that is not that difficult to understand i mean you have the number of how many people we might be talking about with everything locked down in the united states it's hard to imagine that there's going to even be that many people crossing the border irregularly uh, everything is being reoriented towards coronavirus and the border has been shut down. So what is the multi-billion dollars that is dedicated towards the border actually doing right now? I mean, the the number of people crossing the border is way fewer. So there's actually more resources at the border that could go into quarantining people that are crossing irregularly. But the, the most important question is, how do we have a, a liberal party that has tried to make so much political capital out of anti-racism you know in their rhetoric obviously not in their words have no shame to make a decision like this and say yeah actually uh, effective immediately Canada's border is shut and that includes shut out to everyone who we have international obligations to welcome and to process in Canada through conventions conventions on the rights of refugees and asylum seekers so it's just such a disgusting decision from Trudeau. It shows exactly where his head is. It it shows where the pressure, uh, wh- what kind of pressure is working on him, and that is right wing pressure that is cooked up in the rebel medias of the world and the right wing uh, thinkers of this country, right wing racist thinkers in this country. And I think when you put that together with what is probably coming, which is a planned bailout of the oil and gas sector. You know, this is where you see night, like, it's, it's so stark who our government works for and what their what their priority really is, that we can have uh, a, an extreme right-wing position like closing the borders happen at the same time as, as some sort of bailout for oil and gas industries, while average people have to, like, f- fucking spend, you know, two hours on Google to figure out how exactly they're going to be able to apply to maybe get $400 uh, every every week. I mean, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, and of course it was also embodied by the fact that, you know, mortgage payers are going to get a little bit of relief that you can postpone your mortgage payments by six months, uh, depending on your bank and some of your circumstances. Except Whereas apparently not. No, I even, know. <laughs> even that announcement, uh, is apparently not real. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like, uh, the, the reports online on Twitter from people who have tried to do this is apparently it's it, it's not like legislation or a decree from the government. It's a uh, it's like, a oh, the banks have said they'll do this. And everyone online is saying that the banks are clearly not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like a PR exercise, much like the announcements we're talking about right now. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, major shout out to everyone who's organizing around the rent strikes uh, there's been a big movement across Canada and also across North America saying, you know, April 1st, don't pay your rent. And that is a call that I think, you know, if you listen to, to Sandy Nora, that, Google it, check it out, uh, consider joining in on the right rent strike. Because we know, like, through the history of how plagues happen and how class works, that the people who are going to be hardest hit by this are going to be poor people, working class people, people who struggle from paycheck to paycheck, people who still have to work. And who will have to risk their lives for a very small paycheck to make sure that the rest of us can be fed or can get from one place to another on public transit or whatever it is. 
And the fact that not everything is oriented towards protecting that layer of society is is just so damning. And this is the kind of thing that the NDP should be making a lot of noise about. Uh, I mean, they're not making any noise. So, I mean, fuck, like, can we have a little bit more noise turned up from the NDP? That would be super great. But things are going to get really bad in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I think uh, with respect to the things that the NDP should be doing, like, I have some ideas, so I'm just going to put them here and hopefully someone hears them. <laughs> And, and maybe, um, you know, adopt some of them. Because I just, you know, when Justin Trudeau announced some of the, the first measures, the, the response coming from the NDP was, this is a really great start. Like, let's band together and, you know, yay, um, support. And what, what the response should have been, knowing what the what kind of government the liberals have always been they're super consistent and that's the only thing they've really got going for them is these measures are a great start and what we need is for them to be absolutely unhindered um, like no hindrance for people to accept uh, to access uh, these benefits that was that's the type of voice that we should should have heard from the NDP we should be hearing from the NDP that transit should be free because those services that have been um, delegated uh, as essential services most of those people are taking uh, transit services public transportation to work by the nature of the jobs that they do and how much that they make and uh, if they are you know, um, under increased pressures because maybe uh, a partner that they live with has lost a job or something like that, and those increased uh, pressures are making it difficult for them to get to work. Well, look, uh, the NDP should be supporting that. The NDP should be supporting the nationalization of uh, some of the services that people desperately need, uh, whether that's food, like, can we make sure that everybody has access to basic basic needs at this point? Um, whether that's communi communication, can we not necessarily? Is it is it possible for us not to rely on uh, private companies like Rogers and Bell and so on uh, at this particular moment uh, to price gouge us uh, for a service that doesn't need to be so expensive? Can the government help with that? Taking that over. Um, there's all sorts of different things that the NDP can be calling for the government to take charge of right now that would make life um, a lot easier. They could be calling for this is the full-scale suspension of rents and mortgages and all these things that you know it seemed so impossible two months ago, but we've seen happen basically all over the world. Uh, we should be doing that. Let's take the GM plant mm -hmm. and use it to make ventilators. I saw that um, idea somewhere online. Can the government mandate that? Um, there are fashion houses in New York that are making masks right now for, <laughs> for, uh, for uh, medical workers. Can we can the government um, ensure that, uh, you know, some business out there is doing something similar in Canada? Like, let's have some creative um, ideas that are as radical as the shift in our lives are right now. Yes, absolutely. And if not now, I mean, what the hell is the point of being a left-wing party? <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> 
Yeah, and in the last week or or two weeks or so, the entire Republican Party and conservative um uh like uh, political atmosphere has like embraced socialism. Yeah. Go hard. <laughs> Go yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty it's a it's a very interesting moment and and we have to pull ourselves into a place where we can feel like we can do this work. And maybe I'm talking right now like to myself. <laughs> um I've I've been off with my kids and so doing any work has been very difficult and then wrapping my head around like the volume of the work that I have to do because everything's been pushed back because I was on my own with the kids and my partner came out, blah, blah, blah. But every kind of moment in my day where I'm like reminding myself that this is, this is the new normal, I think it has been so important to, to help make it normal by reminding myself it will, it is normal. And I think we all have to do that because as I, as I'd said, I mean, things are going to get much worse. And the healthcare system, I mean, thank God we have a healthcare system that is driven not by profit, that is driven by by extremely dedicated uh, medical professionals who are keeping hospitals clean and keeping them running and trying to figure out how to dispatch and triage all of the the different kinds of cases that are coming through their doors right now and, and, and will continue to, to increase. But we all collectively need to be mentally prepared for what's coming for the first time that we hear that our friends have coronavirus. I mean, I already have, I think, three or four friends who have presumptive coronavirus. And oh, that's terrible. Yeah. And and the news from the United States is going to get worse and worse. And if we are going to be able to survive four months in quarantine, let's say four months is like pretty optimistic. And if we're going to survive four months in quarantine while the news outside of us gets worse and worse and worse, we're going to have to find ways to cope. And like there's obviously a lot of really great distractions that have been uh, put up uh, online, you know, great concerts and old troves of videos and, and, and TV shows and lots of movies and documentaries. All of that's great and really important. But we have to also be honest with ourselves that it is going to be harder and harder to watch things get worse around us. We ourselves might find our, it might find ourselves sick, might find ourselves thrown into a system that is already burdened and, 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 and overstrained. And, and like, this is a really important moment for everybody to put like hit pause on their life in whatever way they can and make this new world, their normal world as uncomfortable and as unpredictable as it is, which, which I think for a lot of people seems so impossible because we've, we've grown up in a world where you can have a five-year plan where you can plan month to month, exactly down to uh, a T of what's going to happen and how you're going to manage things that might be uh, a surprise. This is, this is the end of, of one status quo as we've known it. And what will come rushing back after is going to either be a more vicious version of that status quo or something that's better but getting us from there until the next step is going to take all of us taking care of ourselves and getting through this, which is not going to be easy. No, but I will say that one of the things that uh, has been helping me to kind of get through it is like being social. Like I know we, we were talking about social distancing or whatever, but it's really just physical distancing that we're doing. I think the social part like we need to be socially as close as possible right now. It's the stuff um, that keeps us going. 
the conversations that we have uh, over the internet or over the phone right now are the types of things that are going to help to keep us well. Um, if we are, you know, socially isolated from one another or alienated is the better word. If we're socially alienated from one another right now, um, you know, then who cares if whomever uh, takes all the toilet paper and all the potatoes and leaves you none. But if we understand that we are part of a society that needs to work together uh, in order to survive this and that we need each other in order to survive this, uh, that social aspect, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, Instagram parties that have been going on, uh, all of that is useful stuff um, to keep us surviving through this. Um, and I just, I just think that that piece is so, so important. And, um, you know, Nora mentioned at the beginning, if you're doing this alone, that might be very, very difficult. And perhaps we can figure out ways to connect people who are not very connected right now to other people because this is going to have a massive impact on people's mental health. Um, and uh, if there's a way that we can figure out um, how to bring some social life uh, to people who are uniquely isolated, I think that that would be so necessary right now. Yeah, if you're really struggling, like definitely feel free to direct message me on Twitter. You can do that anytime. And um, if you're uh, a listener and you'd be happy to be connected with someone through like a direct message or, or chat or whatever, let us know. Um, and we'll maybe use some of the networks through our own show to try and make sure that people are connected to one another. We have done such a good job in the West to separate ourselves, ourselves as humans away from our own human past. We've like destroyed bonds of community like it never before. We um, have tricked ourselves into thinking that you can survive on your own, that you don't need anybody, that all it takes is money. And we've got all of these stories that have been around for centuries uh, of, of how people survive really horrible things like a plague, right? We've got religions that have that have plagues feature very uh, prominently within their uh within their within their their own stories as well all of us have a connection probably to some sort of really old story of a of how people would survive in a really difficult time of, of crisis and this moment is a moment where we are actually able to shed a lot of what the 21st century has placed upon us as being normal and go back to a version of humanity that is actually more real, that is actually more uh, natural in a way, and but with the benefit of having technology to help us kind of get through this stuff too. And so I've, I've, you know, I started off the show saying that I'm kind of at a plateau where I'm not trying to get too sad. I'm also trying not to get too happy about the the idea that I, I actually am able to, like, just exist like I'm just able to be and I don't have to really think too hard about what's coming next week because it's impossible to know what's coming next week I mean there's things that we all all have to keep track of like like feeding ourselves and do we have enough money to to make the next couple of you know runs to the grocery store or whatever but this is an opportunity a moment of opportunity that we can use for reflection 
And I would I would also love to hear that if any listeners have any kind of like big insights that they've been really working on as they're as they're sitting quietly in their in their own isolation. But there there's a lot of interesting things that has happened as a result of our forced slowdown. And, you know, no one should interpret what I'm saying as saying that any of this is good. I mean, the coronavirus is not good and, and any of the side effects that happens are not are not thanks to this horrible thing happening. But there are things that are letting us see just how fucked our lives have become. And I hope that it it reminds us of the need to slow down, of the need to consume less, of how fast nature can forget about us if we stop destroying it. And how with climate change, I mean, we know that that plagues are going to become even worse and worse under the conditions that we're creating with with global warming maybe we have an even stronger impetus to stop global warming and we can see what instantly happens when traffic is cut in half or when some industries are forced to close or whatever you know that kind of stuff brings me a lot of hope and so as i see like increasing death tolls and really horrible stories of people who have died i also can hold on to some of the the the, the good news um like i don't know if you saw but harvey weinstein has coronavirus i did not see that where did that did that come out in the new york times or something it has come out like literally while we're recording and so folks will probably know this already by the time this hits the thing yeah and and i also like you know really feel like everyone should get get really down with gallows humor (laughs) (laughs) that is really important right now engagement on twitter a little bit more (laughs) oh my god yeah, I you know what, and and actually that's a that's a good thing. I did want to mention that, like, I felt like the trolls had kind of like relaxed while we all had this like common pressing bunch of humanity to like deal with, but I mean, Sandy, how much have you seen of the racist kind of reaction to online uh, to the border and stuff? Oh my God, so much. There's there's so much. Yeah, uh, th- there are people who are literally trying to. Um, uh, spread the idea that uh, the coronavirus like came to Canada through the border through asylum seekers. <laughs> like, it's just uh-huh. you guys, you guys, <laughs> a stretch. Yeah, there's a lot of racism. People are really digging into to the racism. It's you know like these these constant uh, grossnesses of humanity that just will not let go, even in a global pandemic. Yeah, I had made the comment to a friend of mine um, that that you know things feel like they're really desperate and we're we're all like on a on a very in a raw kind of place and for for the level of racism to surface around asylum seekers in the way that it has just shows you how rooted the racism is that it's not something that people can just kind of like forget about when there's like they have to also think about like getting enough toilet paper no 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 it's actually so deeply embedded in people like like Peter McKay or I saw Tasha Carradine also talking about this this week that that somehow it's a normal question to say well how is it how could we possibly be expected to accept people in a moment of crisis and it's just like where in the fuck is your humanity like we have we are so have such a cushy existence in in the west so many of us that like if we can learn anything from this crisis it's that we need to fucking relax on how comfortable we are and 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 i don't know like fucking ditch some of our shit like i'm gonna get all saint francis on everybody here like just (laughs) i don't know who that is 
St. <laughs> Francis uh, of Assisi was a uh, was a, a Catholic uh, a priest who had who was extremely rich, and then had a, an, epi- an epiphany, and he gave it all up and became like the patron saint of like animals. Um, he's a very good example of why people like religion because they like the idea that the rich are are shitty and the poor are not. <laughs> So, oh, okay. there, yeah. So there's just there's there's a lot there's a lot that we can learn uh, from ourselves and and aside from all the public policy stuff and aside from like our leaders still being as shitty now as they were uh, two weeks ago. Like it doesn't matter how fucking nice you think Doug Ford's words are right now. Doug Ford is just as much of a fuck as he was a month ago. Figuring out how to criticize while at the same time moving in the right direction together. That's our big task right now. That's our big task as, as, as progressives. And a lot of it is going to have to be co- collective action that we take on our own, which is an oxymoron. But the rent strikes, I think, is the, is the example of, of where we're going to see that be the most successful. With respect to the, to the racism that's going around, you know, I, I don't want uh, people to just think that it's just like a fact of life. Like these are choices um, that people are making. And you can c- really see like the function of racism uh, with the way that people are talking about uh, different communities right now, it's all to um, like resist any sort of uh, uh, responsibility to do something like shit saying that the blame lies over here. And if the blame lies over here, we just need to remove that community from our uh, sphere of influence or we need to like punish that community in some way. Um, and I don't really have to do anything. It is like uh, this, uh, it functions to create a mythology around people that actually just endangers us all. Um, and we can also see uh, some of the ways that racism functions in uh, comparing what life was like just a few months ago to comparing what life is like today. And somebody made a really good comparison on Twitter. I can't remember who, um, where they mentioned that, you know, a few months ago, a journalist, or maybe it was years ago, I can't remember. A journalist uh, was asking the Canadian government if they were just going to deliver blank checks to Indigenous communities um, uh, who were uh, under uh, particular environmental crises that... Uh, have been caused by governmental um, uh, actions or inactions in particular areas. And, of course, they didn't phrase it that way. They, they phrased it like, well, are you just going to give these Indigenous communities blank checks? And is that a question that is ever going to be asked about anything that is happening uh, right now? Obviously not. Yeah, like... Th- the idea that um, that in a time of crisis we would all pull together, we would all do the right thing, we wouldn't squabble, we wouldn't question people's motives, we'd all get behind whoever our leader is at the moment. That's what people are pushing for right now because all of our lives feel very threatened. But in this country, there are people's lives who are feeling very threatened every single day in normal times before the, the coronavirus became like the number one threat to Canadian health. And so the question has to be asked, why is it that when the crisis hits an an indigenous community or several indigenous communities, that there is the time for politicking and name calling and squabbling and and accusations of mismanagement and all this kind of bullshit? It's the same thing. It's just on a different scale. Oh, no, the difference is that it's not impacting 
the politicians themselves. I mean, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau is not going to have a rash because she doesn't have potable water. But the second that this stuff comes home and hits the, the upper classes or, the, or a wide swath of the voting population, then all of a sudden it gets deemed to be a crisis. COVID-19 is obviously a global health crisis. There's no question about that. But we live with various other health crises in Canada as well. And I hope that the sympathy and the empathy that so many people have been showing towards one another in this moment of crisis, that we would be able to have the exact same sympathy and empathy for people who experience these kinds of horrible situations all the time, or, or disabled folks uh, or people living with chronic illness who are always in isolation, who can never uh, not be in, in some kind of isolation to keep themselves healthy or to keep themselves uh, safe. Or, I don't know, Asylum seekers who are fleeing some horrible situation and who are putting their lives at risk so that they can have a glimpse at a hope of a better life. These are all connected issues. And if or what it's like for prisoners who are living in isolation. Yeah, we are a society that uses solitary confinement pretty regularly, even though all the time. Uh, it, it has been promised by politicians that it will be a practice that, that they will end or, or or prisoners who aren't necessarily in solitary, but who are. <sighs> who are still isolated from uh, a particular type of community building. Like, like people are getting a taste of what different, um, how other types of people are always forced to live under the society that we have now, or, or the, mm -hmm. the society that we had a month ago. And that begs the question, like, shouldn't it just be better coming out of this? Shouldn't we create something different? If you're finding this difficult right now, um, then let's think about the people who uh, live some version of this all the time and try to create something better when, when we emerge from this.